Good evening. This is a Tomorrow Christian Today reading number six in the NLT. But first and always we pray. Lord, help us to, to read your word. Help us to hear you speak to us. It really should be you speaking. I should be speaking less and you should be speaking more. And I think that's, I do have opinions, Lord, about things. But really, this is about you speaking to us through your word, through the Holy Spirit. And I'm reminded of that. That's what, that is what the pastor said, that we speak to you in prayer as we're doing now. And then you speak to us through your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Help us to learn from everything, Lord. Help us to learn wisdom, your wisdom, your love and grace. Your love and grace came from Jesus Christ. The law came from Moses, but love and grace came from you. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Let me read Numbers 6. And uh, I was just looking at a show and, you know, it was, a, it was a show. And I was just very interested how they were talking about the law and how they were talking about relationships. And Jesus died for us on the cross. He was the God-man, but a human died for other humans because he shed his blood. Uh, but because he was sinless and perfect like God, that his blood um, cleanses us from all sin and gives us that reset. It's amazing talking about the law versus relationships, grace and truth. Anyways, let me read. Number six. Nazarite laws. Then the, law, then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If I, any of the people, either men and women, take the special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, they must give up wine and other alcoholic drinks. They must not use vinegar made from wine or from other alcoholic drinks. Interesting because Jesus didn't drink when they, they dipped something with hyssop and they gave it to him. He didn't want to take it. And I've heard all kinds of things like, uh, the hyssop, it was like a wine. It could have deadened his pain. He didn't want that. Um, I don't know. Did Jesus ever drink wine? Did he ever go and drink wine? Like, uh, you know, the Bible uh, doesn't say you can't drink wine, but it says not to get drunk. So don't drink a lot of it. Like everything in moderation. But it says here, wine and other alcoholic drinks. Was Jesus a Nazarite? I mean, Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite. He was supposed to grow his uh grow his hair not not touch his hair and he was supposed to like like kind of like a vow of purity but does does the bible say that he drank that jesus drank wine he did say this is the cup uh, he said this is the cup um which represents my blood in the new covenant so he must have had some before he passed it to the disciples so he did drink some so he did he did drink them but Maybe he never met about. He didn't have. He was pure. He never sinned. I don't know. It's kind of confusing, but I'm not confused by it. I don't have to. I, I I do have questions. I do have an opinion, but like everyone else, you know, it says lean not on your own understanding. They must not use vinegar made from wine or from other alcoholic drinks. They must not drink fresh grape juice, and they must not eat grapes or raisins. As long as they are bound by their Nazarite vow, they are not allowed to eat or drink anything that comes from a grapevine not even the grape seed or skins. Well, that's interesting because Jesus says, I'm the vine. Or he says, my father is the true vine. He says this in John 15, right? He says that my father is the root, I'm the vine, right? So he is, he is the vine. As long as they are bound by the Nazarite vow, they are not allowed to eat or drink anything that comes from a grapevine. This is so interesting. You know, I didn't really realize this. But I have to look and see in John 15. What does it say there? I know it's in John 15. So I have to look quickly. I wasn't going to. 
But now this is very interesting. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there, so the Nazarite in the Old Testament must not drink anything that comes from the grapevine. Jesus says he is the true grapevine. So maybe that's to mean that they are not to take anything um, from any other kind. Like they're not to take the fruit, but maybe the fruit represents other thing, uh, something else from the grapevine. He's the true grapevine. He's the true fruit. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, which is the fruits of the Spirit. Interesting. They must never cut their hair throughout the time of their vow, for they are holy and set apart to the Lord. Until the time of their vow has been fulfilled, they must let their hair grow long. And they must not go near a dead body during the entire period of their vow to the Lord. Even if the dead person is their own father, mother, brother, or sister, they must not defile themselves, for the hair on their head is the symbol of their separation to God. This requirement applies as long as they are set apart to the Lord. So, um, certainly, I think Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite. Now, Jesus did go near bodies, near dead bodies. He raised them to life. He did He did um, say to the widow of Danes, her, her son was dead, and he said, Arise, and he got up. Maybe Jesus, I think Jesus probably touched them. Maybe it was just a symbolic way of, of Jesus, of life touching death and turning it back to life. I really don't know. If someone falls dead beside them, the hair they have dedicated will be defiled. They must wait for seven days and then shave their heads. Then they will be cleansed from their defilement. On the eighth day, there's the eighth day again. Where did Jesus rise? Supposedly the eighth day or the first day of the new covenant week, which we all take to be the day of Sunday. Although, as I've been told now more and more, nobody knows when the Sabbath of Exodus 16 was. Nobody knows when Jesus rose from the dead. Nobody knows what day it was. Maybe they were in conjunction, you know, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6, 7, 8. Um, but nobody knows the actual dates or the actual day. On the eighth day, they must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will offer one of the birds for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will purify them from the guilt they incurred through contact with the dead body. Then they must reaffirm their commitment and let their hair begin to grow again. The days of their vow that were completed by their defilement no longer count. They must rededicate themselves to the Lord as a Nazarite for the full term of their vow, and each must bring a one-year male lamb for a guilt offering. So are we kind of high priests now? Are we priests of the new covenant? Are we ministers of the new covenant? Our, our, our Savior is a priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. So if he's a high priest, then we're priests too. We're priests. We dedicate ourselves to God. We dedicate ourselves to purity. You know, some of us have short hair. Some of us have long hair. You know, some of us are Jews. Some of us are not Jews. Some of us, you know, not Jews, meaning we come from every race on the, on the, on the planet. You know, so the thing is, it seems to me that the Old Testament, um, you know, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, right? And, and my pastor did say this today. He did say in the sermon, in the New Testament church, when as they were writing out the New Testament, well, the New Testament wasn't part of the canon yet, so they were still using the Old Testament. So people who were, you know, um, Jews who, who, who believed that Jesus was their Messiah, and also the Gentiles who believed that Jesus was their Messiah, they probably had very different ways of looking at things. Um, different, They came from different cultures. The, the Jews came from a lot of um, you know, law, a lot of rituals, and even Peter said some of these things were too much for us to bear. Peter said that, right? 
Peter said that. And, and so I think it must have been really hard. It must have been really, really hard for Jews and Gentiles to worship together. I don't know if they were going to the temple. You know, the pastor was saying that um, in Acts 20 or 21, uh, Paul brought some guy Trophimus into the temple and the guy crossed some boundary where the Gentiles were not allowed to cross and the Jews went apoplectic. Maybe that's why maybe that's why the Christian church just stopped worshiping in the temple. Maybe when Jesus died and went to heaven, the Gentiles were coming to the temple and it was a big kerfuffle, and that's why they decided, okay, you know, we can't worship on Saturday. I mean, what would stop what why would we assume they were worshiping on, on Sunday on the day that Jesus rose right off the bat? Maybe there was a big kerfuffle. Maybe they were like, you know, these guys, we keep coming to the temple, we keep saying Jesus is the Messiah, they're not buying what we're selling. We just gotta go off and do our own thing. And any Jews who want to come with us, that's fine. But we're not going to be worshiping on like Saturday. I don't know. I don't or the Sabbath. So the thing is, I think it must have been it must have been really, really hard for both groups. They both believe in Jesus. They both say Jesus is the Messiah, right? But but it's like, oh, we got two different cultures now. We got we got the Jews and the non-Jews, the the Jews and the Gentiles. And sometimes the word Gentile didn't just mean non-Jewish. I think it kind of meant like an insult, like a pejorative. Oh, you're a you're a Gentile. You're not like us. You know, we were Jews and we had the law and we're the chosen people. And yeah, we know Jesus is the Messiah, but you're, we, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. You say Jesus is the Messiah, but you're kind of lawless, you know. You're still eating pork and shrimps. I think maybe there was a lot of problems, you know. Because it says we were made afar, those who were made afar off are now made close to God. So I really don't know, but it just seems it's kind of strange that, um, that all these things probably happen, you know. There was probably a lot of um, cultural clashes. It says, verse 13, this is the ritual law for Nazarites. At the conclusion of their time of separation as Nazarites, they must go to the entrance of the tabernacle and offer their sacrifices to the Lord. A one-year-old male lamb without defect for a burnt offering, a one-year-old female lamb without defect for a sin offering, a ram without defect for a peace offering, um, a basket of bread made without yeast, cakes of choice flour mixed with olive oil and wafers spread with olive oil, along with their prescribed grain offerings and liquid offerings. You know what? I'm just thinking. I'm sorry, I've gone back to this. So I heard somebody say the temple got destroyed in 79 AD or 80 AD by Titus. Was it Titus? Right? They destroyed the temple. And somebody said the temple had to be destroyed so Christianity could go forward. So before the temple was destroyed, were some converted Jews bringing in the Gentiles? Did it cause problems? Like, you know what I mean? Like, did it cause issues? Like, I'm sure if I was a Christian and I was not Jewish, and it's like, I ain't going to that temple, boys. You know what happened the last time? Okay, Paul went in there as a big kerfuffle. You know, as a big squirmish, you know? They just don't want us there, okay? Whether, you know, even if there's dudes in there that are Jewish and are kind of advocating for us, and, you know, the, the guys in the temple don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Like, they don't want us there. I'm not going, I wouldn't go there, personally. It's like, I don't go where I'm not wanted, okay? I'm not stupid. Like, if you don't want me there, I'm going to go someplace else. I'm happy being by myself, personally. I, I've, the last five years, I've been sort of by myself. I'm not complaining, but I've actually grown very used to it. You know, people invited me to their house last year for Christmas. A bunch of people, I didn't want to go. I just, I want to be by myself. But then I ended up going to California to see my, uh, see my folks there, right? So I've gotten used to it, actually. I don't feel, I don't feel lonely anymore. I just, I may be alone, but I don't feel lonely. I really don't. I've, I've come to be happy without people which I don't really know is the whole object of Christianity. Christianity is supposed to make you more people, you know? I guess I'm a very guarded person. 
Um, I go to church and I absolutely love it. I love the me message there, but I don't, you know, push myself on anybody or mess with anybody, you know. So I love church, though. I just I feel I feel different inside the Sunday church that I did not feel before. I feel like Jesus is like really there. I just feel like he's so much more real. There's, there's so much more love and warmth and relationship there. You know, I, I mean, I enjoyed the other church before and, and I tried to be friendly to all, but it wasn't, it was kind of a, a more critical, a more lawful, a more cold environment. I was looking at this show and I, I mentioned at the beginning, but I'll just say it was Star Trek Charades. It was the new one. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, Spock becomes a human. He gets, he gets altered. And then he has to go through this ritual where he's, uh, it's the Vulcan ritual of marriage to um, the girl that he was getting married to in the old series that kind of got rid of him. But in this one, he's, and, he's, and he's human. He's totally human. It's very funny. There's things about the CBS, CBS Brave New Worlds that I don't like, but there's stuff about um, this series that is good. And it's just the whole thing. And you know what I came across, what I think? It's funny that the God of the Old Testament, God our Father, he seems like a Vulcan. He seems lawful, very cold, very by the book, very precise. And the God of the New Testament, it seems very human. He has emotions. He forgives you. He has grace. Jesus eats with people. And, and God died on the cross, but a human died on the cross. You know, it, the God of the New Testament is very, very human. He's very heart. He's very relational. And yet it's the same God. It's exactly the same God. And you kind of see Spock, he's kind of f pretending to be a human being, but then, you know, he's got the Vulcan thing happening, and then they did restore him back. But, um, you know, it's just funny to see this guy acting very human, and then now, now trying to bow, now trying to tiptoe around this lady who's totally Vulcan, and she's extremely critical. This is like a marriage ceremony or an engagement ceremony. It was very, very funny. I kind of laughed my head off when he's in the bathroom and he's kind of freaking out. <laughs> so this is a podcast about reading the Bible. I should not be advocating for the Brave New Worlds, the charades episode. It's hilarious. I just, I see God in that. I see the Lord. I see the gospel in that. It's funny how Mr. Spock was created by Leonard Nimoy, who is Jewish, right? Even though he, he wasn't a religious Jewish person. But Judaism just seemed kind of more like law, more laws and more precise and logical and by the book and kind of cold, kind of judgmental. But yet humans is relational. And so which one is higher? Because the God of the New Testament, the God our Father is the exact God of the New, of the Old Testament, God our Father. It's the exact same God, exactly the same person. He's law and love in one. Man, it's hard to, it's hard to break this apart in my mind. Anyways, kind of silly. I'm being silly. I know. I said I was going to read the Bible more. Forget my opinions, okay? I want God's word to speak to you. The priest will present these offerings before the Lord, first the sin offering and the burnt offering, then the ram for a peace offering along with the basket of bread made without yeast. The priest must also present the prescribed grain offering and the liquid offering to the Lord. Only with the Lord will you have peace. I don't understand all these different offerings, you know, but God is all these things. He's peace. He's bread, he's, he's liquid, he's drink, you know, he, he's, a, he's a lamb. We offer the perfect lamb uh, to God, right? We bring, we bring our sacrifice to God. 
John the Baptist says about Jesus, Lo, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our offering to God, and yet he's our high priest before God. He's both the priest and the offering. Man, that's unbelievable. Like, God is so smart, you know? He's two different things at the same time, simultaneously. Man, it blows my mind, mind blown. Then the Nazarites will shave their heads at the entrance of the tabernacle. They will take the hair that has been dedicated and place it on the fire beneath the peace offering sacrifice after the Nazarite's head has been shaved. I think Paul did that. He shaved his head and he took a bunch of guys into the temple, right? So it, it's like he's doing these things. And I guess maybe he's reading the Old Testament. It's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, this is my actions. And I'm also writing the New Testament as well because it, God is inspiring Paul to write the New Covenant, the New Testament. After the Nazarite's head has been shaved, the priest will take for each of them the boiled shoulder of the ram and he will take from the basket a cake and a wafer made without yeast. No yeast, no, no leaven, no blowing up, right? Ego is just uh, blowed up, blowed up, um, you know, just egotistical, narcissistic, full of yourself. You're blown up on yourself and, and there's no yeast in this bread, right? This is the bread. Christ is the bread of life. And he's meek. He says, I am meek and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? The meek shall inherit the earth, because the meek are teachable and malleable. They sit down and listen to God. And what does God have? God is all about wisdom. He's all, you know, they, they draw God as an old man with a long beard, but he's actually very young. He doesn't age. He's, he's youth and, and oldness at the same time. He will put them all into the Nazarite's hands. Then the priest will lift them up as a special offering before the Lord. These are holy portions for the priest, along with the bread of the special offering and the thigh of the sacred offering that are lifted up before the Lord. It's strange how Joshua and another guy held up Moses' hands, right? And that's how Moses won the victory. He holds up the hands, lifting up the Nazarites' hands. After this ceremony, the Nazarites may drink, may again drink wine. Man, there's so much stuff in here from the, the that's relevant to the New Testament. It's like Jesus reinterpreted the New the Old Testament, and he made it higher. Love fulfills the law. Yes, the law is precise, cold, perfect, and unforgiving. But to fulfill the law, you have to have the new covenant. But as human beings, we're going to mess up. We, we, need, we need forgiveness. We need to try again. You know, it's not a license to sin. It's a license to try again and not fail. This is the ritual law of the Nazarites who vow to bring these offerings to the Lord. They may also bring additional offerings if they can afford it, and they must be careful to do whatever they vowed when they set themselves apart as Nazarites. You know, Pastor Don was preaching tonight. He was preaching about uh, Nehemiah 4, about building up the wall. And again, I heard in Ephesians 2 about the breaking down the wall of hostility. What a weird coincidence, eh? And P Pastor Don was preaching Philippians 1.6, And the work that has begun in you shall not be completed till the day of Christ. God has begun a work in you. He's transforming you. And that the work has only begun. And God has promised to complete it. And the day that he comes back, it will be complete. And that's a promise from God. So when other voices come into your head, you can't do this. You can't be healed. You can't be, you can't uh, fight this sin. You can't win over this sin. You can't fix your marriage. You can't do this. You can't do that. That's not God talking to you. God tells you what he is doing and what will do, and God will do it. 
but the negative voices that come into your head are your unguarded thoughts or it's the devil telling you that you can't do it and you're going to lose. And the devil will always be doing that. He'll always be poking you. But God says the work has begun in you and will not be completed till, but it, and it will be completed on the day of Jesus Christ. I remember it because you just preach it. Philippians 1 verses 6. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. I don't tell you what to believe. I ask you to think about what I am telling you and you and God settle your beliefs. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Oh, that's so glorious. Wherever Aaron and his sons bless the, the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is blessing us from his from his throne in heaven next to the Father. And if Jesus blesses us, the Father will bless us too, because Jesus is our high priest forever. You know, I would like to read that last little bit in the King James, because I do remember um, that they used to say that at the end. This is number six. And it was a little song. It says, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. They used to sing that little song. And now I remember it's coming from number 6, 24 to 26. And it was in the KJV, it wasn't in the NLT. So the words are a little bit different, but it's beautiful. The Lord is blessing you. The Lord is keeping you. The Lord is making his face shine upon you. The Lord is gracious to you. The Lord is giving you his grace. He's giving you his grace even in the Old Testament. It says in Genesis 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. It's always been about grace. It's always been about grace getting us back to the law. The law is the law of perfection. We can't get it. We need grace. And yet grace is higher than the law. Two things are simultaneously opposite and, and the same at the same time. It's the devil that's trying to keep you from God. It's the devil that's trying to destroy your thoughts. It's the devil that's disconnected your house and your family, household and your marriages. The devil is your enemy, not God. The devil makes God sound like the boogeyman. He makes God look bad. He, he says God started all the religious wars. God didn't start the religious wars. God is trying to keep us from wars. God is trying to build relationship in us. It's the devil that's destroying us with religion, using his narcissism and his pride and using the Bible and not looking through Jesus, but using the Bible and having people weaponize the Bible against each other. That's religion. Not worrying about commonalities, we're united on Christ and the Holy Spirit and grace and love and peace, but actually using the differences, how people see the Bible in different ways and saying, my interpretation is better than yours. I'm a true Christian. You're a false Christian. I hate you and I'm going to get rid of you. That's the devil saying that to people. And he says it through the microphone of pride. What a piece of work. I see it all so carefully. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. And verse 27 says, And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. You are the children of Israel now. That's what it says. That's what it says in Romans. You are the children of Israel now. You're the children of overcomer. And now I can find this, and I'm going to find it really fast. Romans, and I'm going to find it in Romans 2. And this is what it says here. It says here, 
Romans 2.28, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. I'm not a Jew by DNA, but I am Jewish now by heart. So are you, if you are a Christian. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, then you are you are a spiritual Jew. I think that's so wonderful. I'll read it again. I read it before in the KJV. I'll read it now in the NLT. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's spirit and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Have a great night and happy Thanksgiving.